please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm 41. As we turn to God's Word, let's also return to Him once again in prayer and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us today be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we are in the middle of our summer series, this summer's installment, a scene all of life is worship through the Psalms. I've been saying uh, from the beginning that the Psalms uh, occupy, or at least should occupy, an important place in both the corporate worship of the church and in all of life worship. The Psalms, that collection of 150 songs and prayers offered to God by His people, uh, by His church. The Psalms, all 150, are diverse and yet they're unified because they're, they're, they're centered on the one true and living God and they showcase for us chapter after chapter this mysterious divine human encounter. Now, the English title Psalms comes from the Greek label, but the Hebrew label title would be praises. And so you could put that together as songs of praise. But especially as we will see in Psalms 42 and 43, the question has to be asked, what can miserable Christians sing? And of course, miserable Christians can sing the Psalms, and we will see that all the more in 42 and 43. Just like any scripture, when we read the Psalms with faith, we don't just come away informed by the mysterious working of the Holy Spirit we become transformed more and more into the image of the one to whom the Psalms point, Jesus Christ. Now the Psalms begin and end with the blessing of the Lord. Uh, The blessing of the Lord. Now, those of you that know me know that I love titles and uh, I wrestle with titles because titles to me are very helpful. I, I often will pick up a book because of its title. I will remember the main thought of an article because of its title. Um, So the title today is not number 41 of 150. Um, The title is The Blessing of the Lord. And I get really intrigued by the use of, of prepositions. Of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think we will see that it means blessing from the Lord and blessing to the Lord. Each of the five books of the Psalms, and remember the Psalms were divided into five books. Many scholars think that that was to imitate the five books of Moses. But each of the five books of Psalm end with a blessing, a doxology to the Lord. And we'll see that in Psalm 41, the end of book one. We'll see that again in Psalm 72, 89, 106, and of course at 150. Well, not only the Psalms begin and end in blessing. Uh, But book one of the Psalms, that is Psalms 1 through 41, begin and end with the blessing of the Lord. Turn back with me to Psalm 1, if you could. Psalm 1. 
Here's Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So at the beginning of book one, you see that that a man is blessed. A certain man is blessed. But notice how the end of book one, Psalm 41, verse 13 ends. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Interestingly, blessing from the Lord, blessing to the Lord. And Psalm 41 itself begins and ends with the blessing of the Lord. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who considers the poor. Listen how verse 41, excuse me, Psalm 41 ends again with blessing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. There's blessing from the Lord and there's blessing to the Lord. Now, this Psalm uh, 41 concludes a collection of the the previous four Psalms or the previous three Psalms, Psalms 38, 39, 40, and 41, that are connected by common themes such as sickness, sin, hostility, and estrangement. Psalm uh, 41 is a psalm of lament, but also a psalm of confidence as it tests out a principle, that is, confidence in the Lord, against experience. In other words, is my confidence warranted in the Lord? Now, our approach this morning to Psalm 41 will be to direct our attention first to a general confidence, and then, secondly, to a particular complaint, and finally, to a personal confidence. So a general confidence, a particular complaint, and then a personal confidence. Uh, Begin with me as I read verses 1 through 3, the prologue, a a general confidence, confidence in principle that's proclaimed, that's declared. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Who is blessed? Well, you know, sometimes things that are so obvious actually need to be asked and answered. Who is blessed? The one who considers the poor. That is, those who are helpless and and weak. And of course, other translations uh, will will translate it just like that. The weak, uh, the helpless. Now, How is this person blessed? Well, before we answer that, let's just say, when is this person blessed? I mean, it's in the day of trouble. And as we saw in Psalm 41, we're living between the already and the not yet. And the tension between the already and the not yet is a day of trouble. Jesus himself reminds those who follow him, um, in this world, you will have trouble. In me, you'll have peace, but in this world, you'll have trouble. We're living, as it were, in a day of trouble. So how is this person blessed? Well, walk with me through the verses. They are protected. They are kept. They are not given up to enemies. They are sustained and restored. 
I mean, it's, it's a comprehensive blessing of the protection and care of the Lord in every situation. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Let's talk for a moment about um, the consideration and concern for the poor. Um, as we saw in our Old Testament reading in Deuteronomy 15, uh, the Lord wants his people to be concerned about the poor and the needy. It's taught in Deuteronomy, it's taught in Exodus, it's taught in Leviticus, and here we see it uh, in Psalms. Consider, consider to give attention and assistance to the helpless or weak, to give careful thought. Um, it's a person who understands and emphasize, empathizes with those who are helpless and unable to take care of themselves. The poor, uh, the needy, the helpless, the weak, they are, they are weak in influence. And therefore, um, the kindness to them is generous. And it, because the person that is kind to the poor knows that they can't be paid back. This is sort of a, an immediate rebuke uh, of those who are strong in self-confidence. Because if you're strong in self-confidence, you don't turn to the Lord because you think you don't have any need. But for those who are not deluded, for those who recognize their own weakness, they have nowhere else to turn but the Lord. When I was thinking about this expression, who considers the poor, I'm like, consider, consider. Where do I read that in the scripture? Aha. Hebrews chapter 24. Uh, right before we're told to not give up the habit of meeting together, we're told this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider. You know, there is not a one-size-fits-all Christian, is there? Now, on one level, of course, united by faith in Christ. But we are all unique, and it's the wise person who takes time to know what it is that demonstrates love to another believer. Let us consider how to stir one another up, because what may stir up love for me may not stir up love for you. And it's an aspect of love to take the time to know someone, to understand their hopes and fears and their joys and their sorrows and what sets them on edge and what provides relief. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And that took me to Philippians 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Wow, what an appropriate text for me and all of us to dwell on in the midst of potential divisions here, there, and everywhere. Could you imagine if the heartbeat of us was considering others before ourselves? It sort of dawned on me that the call to follow Jesus involves denying yourself. And that doesn't, that doesn't just mean denying yourself as a form of self-salvation and following Jesus. It means denying yourself. 
It's echoed, of course, in the call to love your neighbor as yourself. The call to Jesus involves denying yourself. Now, going back for a moment, when we see this verse, blessed is the one who considers the poor, and at the end we will see this blessing uh, that we bless the Lord. Um, One commentator, uh, the late uh, Alec Matir, an Old Testament commentator well known for his commentary on Isaiah, but overall Old Testament, he, he, he said something startling to me uh, when looking at, at Psalms 1 through 41, because we're, we're, Psalm 1, of course, starts with the man who delights in the law of God. And it ends, Psalm uh, 41, the beginning, it's, it's, it's the blessed is the one who considers the poor, the man who delights in the Lord and who considers the poor. Listen what Matir says. Is the word here used as an inclusion, bracketing the first book of Psalms? Psalm 1, the blessedness of devotion is to Yahweh, the Lord. Psalm 41, the blessedness is of devotion to the needy. Now, Matir, even though he's super scholarly and a godly from what I've read, man, he was humble enough to just ask the question. But you know, if he's right, this first book of the Psalms starts off with devotion to God and it ends in 41 with, as it were, devotion to neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor. Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus, remember, when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, singular, Jesus' response is what? Plural. You love God and you love neighbor and you cannot separate them. Now, we do often attempt to do that, but Jesus says you can't separate it. And in a way, we're seeing that demonstrated in Scripture. Devotion to God, the Lord, absolutely. Devotion, love to neighbor, absolutely. So David, the poet, the singer, moves from a statement of confidence in the Lord in general to a complaint of his in particular. He turns from a statement of faith to a presentation of his situation. Um, Let's look at the particular complaint, and I'll pick up reading in verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me. For I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. A particular complaint. Now, when you hear the word complaint, do you think, oh, I, I, uh, you shouldn't complain or, oh, you better I'm going to complain. What's your reaction to complaining? Well, I think 
Scripture is clear. There is ungodly complaining, grumbling, grumbling. And we see the people of Israel grumble. That's ungodly complaining. It doesn't honor the Lord. And yet, as we see in Psalms, there's godly complaining, also known as lamenting, lamenting. And again, if you had to characterize this psalm, it's a psalm of lament bracketed by confidence, both in principle and in experience. Now, um, when I was in the Navy, I learned very quickly that if you're going to complain to the boss, you better come with a solution for the boss. In my inexperienced, naive thing, I would be good at sizing up the problem I was not very good at bringing a solution, but after being sent out of the captain's cabin more than once to go figure something out, I finally realized that when I was going to complain, I was going to bring a solution. And and we will see that the problems, uh, the complaining that David has is It's internal, it's his own sin, but it's also external. It's enemies, and as we will see, even a friend. And so the solution for both will be one and the same. David's problem has one solution. Does anybody know what it is? Well, it's repeated twice. Be gracious. Be merciful. Have mercy on me. First, we see grace is sought in respect to his own sin in verse 4. Oh Lord, be gracious to me. Be merciful. Lord, heal me. Um, I have sinned against you, so therefore I need forgiveness. But, but we all know that sin is a disease that affects us body and soul. And so David is wanting complete healing. He's wanting to be pardoned of the iniquity, but he's wanting a sense of wholeness to return. Heal me, Lord. And then in verses five through nine, he just goes and lists opposition from enemies and even opposition from a friend. He, pre- he presents his suffering. And that human opposition to David, the singer, the poet, the king, is in the form of hatred and falsehood and gossip. Hatred, falsehood, and gossip. Well, that is nothing new here. We've already seen it in the Psalms. But here's something that begins to be new. There's uh, betrayal in in verse 9. The treachery of a trusted friend. Uh, Literally, if you went back to the Hebrew and worked it out, it would be the man of my peace. I was in a good relationship with him. I was at peace with him. And what Even my close friend that, uh, again, the man of my peace has lifted, excuse me, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, David uh, had some situation in his life uh, with Absalom's rebellion that we read about in 2 Samuel 13 through 18, in particular, the case with Ahithophel, that David lost a friend, a friend turned on him. We sang about that, didn't we? Already, our opening hymn of praise, though troubles assail us, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite. David has got friend and foe against him. As I was thinking about this, another lyric 
landed in my mind. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? If you turn to hymn 629, what a friend we have in Jesus. Take it to the Lord in prayer. David is taking it to the Lord in prayer as his friend despises him and forsakes him. And of course, we'll consider in a moment Jesus' reference to that. He quotes part of that verse. He quotes the part of at that last supper, the one who's eating his bread has lifted his heel against me, an expression that um, scholars are trying to figure out exactly what it means, but lifting your heel against someone is not a good thing. It's either putting them down, it's putting your, your, your foot on their neck, it's, it's something that's not, that's not good. And so what is David's, what does he seek in, in respect, not to his own sin, but to the sin of his opponents. In verse 10, he says again, be gracious to me and raise me up. You know, the enemies are saying he is not going to be raised up. He's, gonna, he's already good as dead and his name is worthless and will be forgotten. They say he will not get up and David is praying, Lord, raise me up. Be merciful, be gracious to me to repay them. Now, what is going on there? Well, David, of course, is king. And this is David not acting in a personal vengeance. This is David as king tasked with maintaining and administering justice and the Lord's law to call them to account. So after this second request, that the Lord be gracious. David returns to that faith that was expressed in the first three verses. And confidence, we'll see, is no longer just out there in general. It is, it is in here now demonstrated and practiced. And so verses 11 and 12 are a personal confidence. A personal confidence. You see, the promised blessing David says, is received. Not only is there divine favor kind of in the abstract, but there is divine favor that I am experiencing. Listen to verses 11 and 12. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. David here expresses the grateful confidence of one who has experienced or who is certain that he will experience the protection and care that he has described in the first three verses. David knew his imperfections well enough. I mean, look back at verse 4. And so his relief in being vindicated is, is truly heartfelt. And what is the chief ingredient of that relief? It's the sense of renewed fellowship, the sense of renewed fellowship. So I want to speak for a moment about two sides of the same coin that we see in verses 11 and 12. First, side one, you delight in me. The King James Bible is a literary classic, and some of the words that the King James Bible uses should never be forgotten. And here's one that should not be forgotten. 
thou favorest me. Favorest me. You will delight in me. You will take pleasure in me. The, the enemy, David says, will not triumph. The enemy will not have the last word. Going back to my Navy days, uh, when I wasn't being sent out of the captain's cabin to, to, to get an answer, to find a solution, I was with, with my, um, my, uh, the sailors in my division, and upon occasion, um, I was with my um, sailors as they were before the captain going through what's called uh, captain's mast or non-judicial punishment for something that they did wrong and violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And, and oftentimes a sailor would be uh, receive punishment. He would, be, he would lose his rank. He would be reduced in rank. He would actually forfeit money. Um, there was actually something that, that it he would be restricted to bread and water, no kidding, for several days. Um, but you know, the sailor would always be confident in the midst of getting punished, he would say, well, you know what? They can't take away my birthday. They can't take away my birthday. They were absolutely confident that no matter what would happen, there was no way that the Navy, in particular the old man, was going to take away their birthday. Now that's a little silly example, isn't it? But David is saying, the enemy is not going to take away my relationship with the Lord. No way. He can't do it. God is faithful. David knows the covenant. David knows covenant love. You delight in me. God delights in his people. He does not delight in sin, but he delights in his people. Now, kids, ask yourself that question. If God doesn't delight in sin, but he delights in his people, how is that possible? Of course, it's possible and it's effective through the work of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Do you have the sense, do you have the confidence, do you have the assurance that God right here, right now, delights in you? David, the sinner, David, the repentant sinner, had that confidence. Well, what's on the other side of the coin? Look at verse 12. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. You have upheld me and set me in your presence forever. Why? Because of his integrity, not sinless protect, perfection, but rather integrity on the point at issue, concern for the needy. And David in scripture, we see being kind to the needy. Psalm 37, a few weeks ago, we saw that Psalm 37 was the Old Testament commentary on this verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And here, Psalm 41 is the Old Testament commentary on Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. David is merciful. He's that man who considers the poor. David is the one receiving mercy from the Lord. David knows that God is faithful to uphold his people and bring them into his presence, to that fellowship forever. 
Let me ask you again this question. Do you have the confidence now that God is upholding you? That God will set you in His presence forever? Are you confident that there is nothing that could separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul says that, of course, at the end of Romans 8. It's not unwarranted confidence. There's a basis. The blessing of the Lord. God blesses particular people. Well, who is blessed according to Scripture? Well, in Psalm 41, it's the one who considers the poor. In Psalm 1, it's the one who delights in the law of God. Who's blessed? The one who loves God. The one who loves his neighbor. But I want us to notice that between Psalm 1 and Psalm 41, there is another psalm that starts off with the word blessed. You remember what that was? Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and, who, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's interesting, isn't it? Blessing, delighting in the Lord, blessing, considering the poor. And between those two, the one who is blessed is the one who is forgiven. I mean, if sin is our biggest problem, which it is, then forgiveness is our greatest blessing. And we have it, of course, through faith in Christ. And that leads us to Jesus. The the Old Testament, the Psalms, of course, point to Jesus. When Jesus had been resurrected, he was with some people on the road to Emmaus. He was also with his disciples uh, by the lake and breakfast and He said this in Luke 24, 44 and 45. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What a a breakfast. Hey guys, the men's prayer breakfast does not, cannot compete with that breakfast. Opening their eyes to understand the scriptures. You know, when Jesus quoted Psalm 47, verse 9, he didn't quote the whole thing. Verse 9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Oh my. Jesus said he didn't trust anyone, did he? Because he knew what was in man's heart. He didn't trust anyone, but did that... Did that prevent him from getting really close to people? Did that prevent him from ultimately laying down his life for people? Paul says toward the end of Romans, in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. My friends, Psalm 41 points us to Jesus. He is our hope. He is our peace. The blessing of the Lord. From the Lord and to the Lord. You see, we bless God because He has first blessed us. Does that sound familiar? 
We love God because what? He has first loved us. Verse 13 was added to round out this first book of the Psalms. It's a doxology. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. It's a doxology like we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Here, verse 13 rounds out these first 41 psalms with a note of closure. This is how God's people are to respond to the blessing of the Lord. And remember, Paul, when going through the grace and mercy of God, when Paul explained the gospel to the Roman church, how did he respond? Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. My friends, how do we How do we respond to being blessed by the Lord? What's our response to recognizing that we have all things for life and godliness in Christ? What is our response to knowing that if we've sinned, what is it, 70 times 7? Obviously a figure of speech for an infinite amount. How do we respond to the blessing of being forgiven again and again and again? How do we respond to the blessing of knowing that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? How do we respond to God not treating us as our sins deserve but hurling them into the depths of the sea? How do we respond to being blessed by God? We see it, of course, in Psalm 41. Blessed be the Lord. Amazingly, God who needs nothing, who's self-existent, who does not need anything from his creation. He delights in receiving the praise and blessing of his people. How do we respond to being blessed by the Lord? We respond in in love, in obedience. We, We respond by glorifying and enjoying him together forever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we confess that one of the reasons, the most likely reason that we do not bless you is we don't first acknowledge the blessing that we have received from you. The blessing of knowing you the blessing of being in a right relationship with you, the blessing of having a Christian family to encourage us along the difficult road of life. Oh, Father, forgive us for not acknowledging your blessings. Forgive us for not counting our blessings. O Lord, may our lives in thought, in word, and deed bless you. And in glorifying you, may we do much good for our neighbor.
for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.